today anyways we're in first corinthians chapter four and we're going to see a few things as we study verses one through five uh, number one is the servant and we're going to see how god has called us to be servants and then we'll look at the servant's requirement which is to be faithful or, and obedient and then and we'll close today with the servant's judgment how one day we're going to stand before jesus christ we can't avoid the day and we're going to give an account and so it's kind of cool to know these things in advance because on that day my prayer is that you would be blessed and fully rewarded because you lived a life of faithful obedience and so we read here in first corinthians chapter four paul says let a, a man so consider us as servants of christ and stewards of the mysteries of god uh, up to this point, if you've been with us in 1 Corinthians, Paul has been writing on how you know, you're not supposed to build your foundation on men. You know, we don't line up uh, behind Peter and Paul and Apollos. No, uh, we are supposed to build our, our life on Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you go back to chapter 3, look at verse 11. It says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so what had happened was the Corinthians, they got carnal. They started uh, following men and saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of, uh, of Cephas, also known as Peter. And, and so uh, Paul is writing to them, that's not the spiritual life you're called to live. We can't lay any other foundation. You've got to lay your foundation on Jesus. And I, and I do encourage you today, you know, no matter, matter what's going on, you're struggling in your marriage, you got your kids in situations there, finances, physical things, you name it. There's a, just a plethora of drama that we're going through. Listen, the answer is Jesus. We, we got to go back, back to Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off that person. Get your eyes off the circumstances. And, and you get your eyes back on, on Jesus, right? So that's what he's saying in, in the long run. But then there's a question, well, what about Paul? What about Peter? What about Apollos? How, we, how do we, you know, think of them? And that's what he says here in verse 1. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So when you think of that individual, don't put him up on a platform. Don't put him up on a pedestal. Um, they're, you just, they're, they're servants. We're servants. Christians are servants. It doesn't matter what the position they have. We're, we're all servants. And, you know, it's very important for us to embrace that. You know, I think that nowadays there's a mentality. It's always been there in the world, but, you know, we got it backwards. And uh, that's kind of funny. I'm pretty sure you guys have all experienced this. Uh, the other day I was calling up to uh, get a tire for my son because uh, his spare tire uh, went bad. And so we call up the tire place. And, you know, we're talking to the guy for a while. I'm talking to him. And then it doesn't take long into the conversation for him to say, okay, boss, I'll get right back to you. And he calls me boss. I was like, hey, that's kind of cool, man, you know. So anyways, and I go over to uh, Office Depot and we get some things printed up and really, really cool people there. I mean, it just didn't take long, maybe two, three minutes in the conversation, they call me boss. Okay, boss, we'll be right back. And I'm like, hey, I'm starting to hear this, like everywhere I go, man. Yeah, have you guys heard that? Th that's the new thing, huh? Hey, boss. And, and it kind of makes you feel good and part of you says, yeah, I am the boss, right? <laughs> But then you read the Bible and you're like, no, that's actually uh, 
discombobulated, that's upside down. We are servants. I am a servant. That, you have to embrace that title to yourself. It's very important. Let a man so consider them as servants, us as servants. You know, uh, what we find right here, in one sense, the passage is applicable to all of us, but especially to leaders. We're servants. We're not celebrities. We're not fellows that people line up under or we build upon their foundation. We're just servants. That's what he says. And we're stewards of the mysteries of God. And, and what that's more than likely in reference to is the fact that we're, in the context here, teachers of the word of God. And some of the things in the Bible, they're a little bit more mysterious, a little bit more difficult to understand. And so what the teachers do is they, is they break it down, right? And so there are some who will give you this passage and they'll say, well, there's seven mysteries in the New Testament and, you know, there's something to that. But um, I think at the end of the day, my personal opinion is just talking about the whole Bible, all 66 books, and entrusted to us is the truth that we teach as we're unpacking all the shadows and symbols and typologies and prophecies of the Old Testament. And so in one sense, it can be mysterious, but all we're doing is our, our job, Paul, Peter, Apollos, pastors, preachers, teachers, parents, is to be stewards of the mysteries of God. We're just servants. We're here to teach the word of God. And so Paul says that that's who we are. Don't make men masters. They're just ministers. They're just messengers. That's how they are to be considered. Don't divide over these dudes. None of us uh, are all that. We're servants. Now, now here the Greek word used is huperates. And it speaks of a subordinate. It literally actually speaks of an under rower. And so if you can visualize these guys at the bottom of the ship, they're just rowing to keep that ship going. They're not shot callers. They're not the captain of the ship. Only Jesus is. He's the head. And for us in the church, we just have to have a heart to embrace our part, whatever it is, wherever it is. We're just called servants, right? A lot of times, you know, we want, we want the limelight. We want to be Batman, or we want to, if I'm not Batman, at least let me be Robin. And God's saying, no, I want you to be Alfred. And you're like, well, who's Alfred? <laughs> well, he's a guy behind the scenes that nobody sees, but he's an integral part of what's going on, right? I mean, that's who we're called uh, as Christians. Uh, I think really one of the most important aspects we need to embrace in, in being a servant uh, is that next step that he mentions right here, and that is one of stewardship. Uh, can you guys say that together? I know it's, I just really want to make sure that when we walk away today, that we walk away with something to hold on to. I am a servant. Can you guys say that? I am a servant, a servant of the, the living God. And then secondly, I am a steward. And I know that sounds kind of weird, but what is a steward? Well, it's in reference to a, a house manager or a property manager, right? And so this is a person called or employed to manage someone else's property. As stewards, what we do is manage certain areas of responsibility that God owns and then God entrusts into our care, right? And so uh, we're a servant. We've been given a stewardship. What is your stewardship? Like one day, I want to encourage you just to get a piece of paper and write down this, uh, these two words, roles and responsibilities, roles and responsibilities and you write down what your roles and responsibilities are what your titles and your tasks are what your gifts and your talents are 
You were born with talents. You were born again with gifts. I mean, there is a role and responsibility. There's titles that you possess that then mean that you have a task. And all of that, one day, you will give an account to God for all those things. Because we're servants. We're under rowers. We're rowing to keep this ship going. And so we got to find out, well, how do we do it? And, and the way that we do it is we find out, you know, what our particular roles and responsibilities are. And so when you're a servant, the second point is now the servant's requirement. Okay, so what is required of me? And in verse 2, he says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. If you're wondering what, what God is looking for, is it, is it to be fabulous? Is it to be famous? No, it's to be faithful. Is it to be powerful? Is it to be successful? No, it's to be faithful. That's what one, one day we'll give an account to Christ for. It's interesting. The Greek word here, translated required, is found 119 times in the New Testament. 105 of those times is translated to seek. And so what Paul is saying is that this is what God is seeking. This is what the Lord is looking for in servants that servants are to be found faithful. You know, and, and, and when we look at that, it's so cool just to know that that's what God will be looking for one day. You guys ever uh, trip out and sometimes you're watching the Olympics and the different events, maybe figure skating, uh, maybe uh, the, remember they do the vault and they jump and they do all the twists and they distort their body and stuff. And then, you know, they land and then they get their scores and sometimes... You know, it's a 9.3 or whatever, 8.6, and then there's a 10. And, and you know, you're, you're like, man, how do you determine the scores? And then over time, you start learning as you're watching the Olympics that this is what the judges are looking for. This is what they're looking for. And this is what Jesus is looking for. Is it to be successful in man's eyes? No. That's the way we judge everything, but that's not what Jesus is looking for, not that successful. He wants us to be faithful. And, and that's important for us to understand. You know, the English Dictionary defines the word faithful as loyal, dependable, and reliable. And I think that's a great place to start. But then the Greek word includes all of that, but it, emphasis, it emphasizes more upon the requirement to be obedient. You see, first we have to know who we are, who we really are. Are you the boss? No. We're the servant. We're the hooperatis. We're the under rower. That's who we are. He's the shot caller. He's the captain. He's the head. Our, our heart is just to know our part. And, and then as we're there, well, what's he looking for? The requirement is that we would be obedient. We are to be faithful to God. It means that we're dedicated and we're devoted to him. Right? To be faithful with God's property means that if he says paint the house, what do you do? You paint the house. Some of you need to go home and paint your house, right? If he says preach the word, what do you do? You preach the word because it's his word and that's his people and this is his church and this is my calling. I mean, that's how it works, right? We have to all discover what our calling is, and in that, we need to be faithful wherever he places us. You know, sometimes people think, well, I think the real faithful people are, are the ones that work at the church. 
No, not necessarily. We're going to see, uh, I think that faithfulness starts at home. I think it starts with you being a husband and a wife. You want to make sure you don't neglect those duties. It, it then goes on to you being a parent and a lot of other uh, roles and family responsibilities that we have. But, you know, sometimes, yeah, it is God's called you to be a pastor. God's called you to be a missionary, uh, whatever it might be in the church. But it's not always in the church, right? Sometimes it's out there in the world. You know, I, I read this story uh, of an 11th century German king, King Henry III, who, who grew tired of his court life and the pressures of being a, a monarch. And so he applied to a monastery to be accepted for a life of contemplation. And the religious superior of the monastery, Prior Richard, he had this conversation with him and he said, Your Majesty, do you understand that the pledge here is one of obedience? That will be difficult for you since you are a king. And Henry replied, I understand. The rest of my life I will be obedient to you as Christ leads you. And so then the man said, well, this is what I tell you to do. Go back to your throne and serve faithfully in the place where God has placed you. And when King Henry III died, a statement was written, the king learned to rule by being obedient. See, like King Henry, we too often tire of our role and responsibility, and, and we just need to be reminded that God has placed each of us in a particular place just to be faithful there, uh, be it as a plumber, an accountant, mother, father, whatever. God expects us to be faithful where he's placed us. Afterwards, I had the privilege of praying with a, a couple of teachers who came up and they were just asking for prayer as a new year starts. And, and I was telling them as a pastor, what a blessing to see you there. Because if, if my kids, if I knew my kids were under your care, I would be so blessed. You know, because we need, you know, people wherever God calls them to be. You know, sometimes in the church walls, but most of the time you guys are out there in the front lines. We have to just discover our role, our responsibility. And the only way that that will really ever truly happen is if you listen to the Lord. You got to get quiet enough. You have to listen, man. You have to be still. And then he'll show you what your gifts are, what your talents are, what your calling is. And once you understand your stewardship, then what he wants you to do is just to be faithful. You know, we have to listen to our captain's orders, husbands, wives, parents, police officers, plumbers, painters, missionaries, musicianaries, teachers. Uh, be encouraged in this also because, you know, here's the thing. You might be an obedient teacher, for example, and you're giving the word, but it seems like the people aren't interested. You know, they're not really uh, learning. They're not even awake sometimes, you know. And then after you're done, you sit down and you take it all in and you think like you're a dismal failure. But, but God didn't say, hey, the, the way that I'll judge you is based on your performance or whether or not you were successful in man's eyes. Were you faithful in mine? See, and that's the way it works. We might even look at our kids and think I'm a, I'm a complete failure as a parent. Listen, it's not, that's not the way it works. All God asks, not successful faithful pray for them love them day in day out that's all and you be led by the holy spirit see and and as we're there god does a work you know for those of you who've been walking with the lord for a while 
and you maybe you know your Bible, if you think about it, what words would you like to hear from the lips of the Lord on the day that you stand before him? Well done, good and faithful servant, right? You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's from Matthew chapter 25 in verse 21. Again, repeated a couple of verses later in verse 23, and then in Luke chapter 19, verse 17. I encourage you, when you get a chance, you go and you read those two parables, the parable of the talents and the parable of the minas. Now, the parable of the talents is a story where Jesus went and he got the people and he said, I want to be gone for a while. I need to do business and I want you guys to do business while I'm gone. And so he gave one guy five talents, another guy two talents, and another guy one talent. And so he told them, you know, make sure you're, you're doing business. And then what happens, you guys read the stories. He came back and they all gave an account. They all gave an account. And that's what's going to happen to us one day, you know. And you might have five talents or two talents or three or four or one. It doesn't matter. You know, when, when Jesus came back, he talked to the first guy. And the first guy said, Master, here's your five talents and I earned five more. And then the guy with two, he said, Master, here's your two. And I worked hard and I earned two more. And then the guy with one, uh, he, he, he didn't have anything to show. And he said, Master, I'm sorry, but I was kind of afraid. And I went and I buried the talent. Here, at least I have it to give back to you. And what did Jesus say to him? You wicked and lazy servant. You, you didn't do anything. You, you, weren't, you weren't obedient to the requirement to be faithful. And so the commendation for the five and the two was the same, well done, good and faithful servant. You're faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many. And what that's in reference to is one day when we stand before Jesus, he will reward us based on our faithfulness, and that will be forever and ever. You know, we see the same thing in Luke 19 with the Minas, but with the Minas is interesting. It was these 10 guys, he gave them all one. And when I read that parable, I think it has an, it's in reference to the fact that we've all been given one life. Soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so, you guys, I encourage you to have that in your heart. Just think how different our family would be, our community, our society would be if the whole flock got faithful. I was reading the, this uh, little uh, article on, on faithfulness because maybe you're here and you're, you're, you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm pretty faithful. You know, I got a pretty high batting average. Well, let me read this to you. It says, do you apply the same standards of faithfulness to your Christian activities that you expect from other areas of your life? For example, if your car starts once every three tries, is it reliable? If your paperboy skips delivery every Monday and Thursday, is he trustworthy? If you don't go to work a couple of times a month, are you a loyal employee? If your refrigerator stops working for a day or two every now and then, do you say, well, it works most of the time? If your water heater provides an icy cold shower every now and then, is it dependable? It's kind of funny, when we were in Columbia, one of the guys, he kept getting cold showers. <laughs> If you miss a couple of loan payments every year, does the bank say, hey, 10 out of 12 ain't bad? If you fail to worship God one or two Sundays a month, would you expect to be called a faithful Christian? We expect faithfulness and reliability from things and other people, 
does not God expect the same from us? The problem often is, however, that in our religious activities, we see ourselves as volunteers rather than duty-bound. Because a volunteer almost, uh, to a volunteer, almost anything seems acceptable. But for a servant who is duty-bound, faithfulness is expected. And we have to search our hearts, you guys. We have to ask the Lord to show us those things. You know, I was thinking about that psalm, uh, because faithful people are difficult to find. And David wrote in Psalm chapter 12, verse 1, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. You know, they say that every Sunday, um, at least one-third of the church is missing. Think about that. What if everybody said, you know what, this is what I do on Sunday mornings. I go to church service. I, I honor that, that Sabbath day, just like Jesus was in the synagogue, you know, on the Sabbath day. Imagine how different the whole church would be as the, if the whole flock got faithful. Imagine how different our families would be, our communities would be, our societies would be, because everybody would be growing. Because when you come to church service, we're feeding off of one another. We're stirring each other up, you know, to love and good works. So, so what God is asking is, hey, you know, as a servant, the servant's requirement is to be faithful and, and not to, you know, trip you out or anything, but understand that one day that, that for that servant, there's going to be a judgment. Now, for some people to, to think about standing before Jesus Christ, uh, it's a comforting thought. It is because he's fair and he's gracious. But for others, it can be, and I think it's probably good to have both. It's a fearful thought because he sees everything. He hears everything. He knows everything. And if, and if it's a good, healthy fear, maybe it will change you to be the godly man or woman that God's been calling you to be. Because look what he says in verse 3. He says, with, with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels or motives of the heart. And then each one's praise will come from God. And so it's interesting, this whole progression here. Again, uh, we're servants. I, I pray that we would embrace that, even though they're going to be calling you boss uh, for a while. Uh, okay, no, no, no. I'm a servant. I'm a hooperades. I'm an under rower, okay? And so uh, as a servant, part of that is I'm a steward. I've been given certain roles and responsibilities, gifts, talents, opportunities, open doors. This is what God has called you to do as a husband, wife, parent, and other things, right? And so uh, you're, you're, you're realizing uh, to be obedient, to be faithful. But, but what, you, what, you, what you have to know is it's not like some superficial, you know, judgment, artificial. No, it's from the eyes of Jesus who scrutinizes everything. You know, and it's almost like, and I know, uh, you know, I remember recently we put in cameras in the church, you know, so in all the different rooms. 
and people were commenting on how now that there's cameras everywhere, people are behaving differently. Imagine if there was a camera at your house, in all the rooms. Imagine if there was a camera in your heart, in your mind, there is. And, and when you realize that, while well, Jesus sees everything, he knows everything, he hears everything, and one day I'll stand before him, you know, I, I tell you what, I don't know, it just kind of makes me want to clean up my life more, you know? And so how can you get there? How can you get to that place? Well, I mean, he's going to talk about how, you know, for me to be judged by people, it's not a big deal. And for me to judge myself, that's not the final word. And some might say, well, so that means nothing. But I think it means something. Notice again what he says in verse 3. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. He didn't say it's nothing that I should be judged by you. He said it's a small thing that I should be judged by you or any other human court. And, and I think we need to be careful to avoid uh, either extremes. You know, some people care nothing about the consensus of other Christians. You know, their favorite passage is, don't judge me, you whitewash wall. That's what they like to say, right? <laughs> but listen, we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 12 that Christians are to judge other Christians. So we just got to make sure that we take the beam out of our own eye. Jesus said in Matthew 7 verse 1, and then in John 7, 24, it says we're to judge righteously. That's what Jesus said. And so, you know, Christians are to judge other Christians to a certain extent. And so if anyone ever calls you to the carpet and criticizes you, don't immediately or automatically ignore it. Oh, it's nothing because, you know, it's, it's nothing to me that you, that you judge. No, he says it's a small thing. And so what you're to do with that criticism uh, that Christian consensus, maybe you're hearing it over and over again, is examine it. You know, sift through it. Is there any truth to it? And so that's the way we see when others judge us. And so there is that part. But then you've got to go to the other extreme and be careful with that as well. Because I think there's also an obsession of what others think of us and, and what they might say of us, right? And, and we are so concerned. We want people to like us. And what Paul is saying right here is, listen, especially in the context of teaching, that if you're speaking the truth, eventually you're going to hit a nerve. If you serve Jesus Christ and you're speaking the truth, eventually people are going to be upset with you. You know, over the years, as Christians and especially as teachers of God's word, we just have to accept the fact that people are going to make some pretty ugly judgments about us. It just goes with the territory of teaching God's word and that's okay right but, but but someone says I don't like it when people say mean things about me behind my back listen we should actually like it Jesus said in Luke 6 26 woe to you when all men speak well of you for so did their fathers to the false prophets you know for some it's a big thing when people make judgments about them they know they think something they say something they do something but what we need to do, you guys, is come to that place as Christians, and especially as Christian leaders, where our primary passion is pleasing God and not men. And that's what Paul is talking about right here, you know, to come to that honest realization that it's impossible to please everyone. You know, some guys, they try to do that. They try to please everybody. How can I make everyone happy? How can I, you know, make a decision or preach the word and not ruffle any feathers or maybe ripple any waves? And so someone comes up and says, hey, what's your favorite ice cream? 
It was your favorite flavor because she likes vanilla and he likes chocolate and so and so likes strawberry. And you think it over and you're like, I like Neapolitan. That's <laughs> why, because you're trying to please everyone. Listen, the fear of man, it brings a snare. Well, you know, when you stand before Jesus Christ one day, you can't say, well, they like this, Lord, or, or they told me this. No. The question is, what does the Lord want? Right? Galatians 1.10, it says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And so Paul here, he, he takes it a step further. I'm not overly concerned with what people say. I listen to them, but I'm not living for them. And then he takes it a step further as far as judging his own heart. Notice what he says in, in, in verse 4. He says, for uh, verse 3, he says, um, But with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. And so as you're, as you're searching your heart, you know, Paul here says, When I look inside, my conscience is clear. But that's not the final word. And so that's all he's saying. The judge is not the Corinthians congregationally. It's not the Christian personally. You know, what, what we see at the end of the day is the judge is Jesus Christ finally. And so he says right there, don't judge anything uh, before the time. Verse 5, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels or the motives of the heart, and then each one's praise will come from God. You know, it's almost as if that what we see going on there in the Corinthian church is they were praising men. Oh, praise Apollos. Praise Peter. Praise Paul. And I'm not, maybe not using those words, but that's what they're doing. They're lifting them up on a pedestal. Today we see Christian celebrities. No, it's supposed to be Christian servants. We have to be really careful with this. And, and we can't judge anything before the time. Because at the end of the day, we don't know if that ambassador did it for the accolades. We don't know if that pastor is a pastor for the paycheck. That pastor is a pastor because he likes the position. That pastor is a pastor because he loves the pulpit more than the people. We might look at them and think, wow, they're so wonderful, the best thing since sliced bread. <laughs> and God says, you know what? I, I'm using them because I can speak through a donkey. But you don't know their heart. And I, and I know we do our best to try to get to know people. But isn't it interesting what he says right there in verse 5? Judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness. Now, I, I read that, and I don't know. If it, it might just be in reference to the secret things that he did, you know. Maybe he gave without, with his right hand not letting his left hand knowing, you know, what's going on, or whatever, good things that were undercover. But it also might mean bad things. You know, you got this guy, whatever, he's a billionaire, He's a philanthropist. He's giving to good causes. And at the same time, he's involved in, in, in sex trafficking little girls. 
I mean, we don't know, and I'm not saying that you're supposed to be suspicious of everybody, and it doesn't mean that you can't have any whatever spiritual mentors that, you know, you appreciate. All I'm saying is that we must keep our eyes on Jesus. And we must never exalt men. That's all he's saying. And we love everybody, you guys but we only worship Jesus. And as we do that, it's so cool what ends up happening, man. He starts working in us. And, you know, next thing you know, you become the, a, faithful, a faithful man, you know, a faithful woman. Can you be faithful? You think you can? Let me ask you a question. Is God faithful? He is, huh? Great is thy faithfulness. And God lives in you. And so God can help us to do these things. You know, one day when we stand before the Lord, it says right here, He will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and He will reveal the counsels or the motives of the heart. And, and the motive is not just what you did. It, it may have been great what you did, but be honest. Why did you do what you did? You know, and for us, of course, we do what we do because we love God and we love the people. We want the best for them. And so you always have to search your hearts, you know, why you do what you do. You know, Proverbs 16, 2, it says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. And in Psalm 26, in verse 2, the NLT says, Put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart. And as we, you know, ask God to show us what's going on, you know, to handle the heart, to meddle with the middle, it's kind of cool what ends up happening, man, is you and I, we become more and more real. Not just a religion, not just going through the motions. It's talking about loving people, not based on how they're going to treat me back. It's about, it's about true love, which means you love people unconditionally. And so uh, prayerfully, we, we learn from this that um, even though they might call you boss, you're not the boss, right? Uh, we're servants, and as servants, the requirement is to be obedient with those roles and responsibilities that we've been given. And one day, you guys know now, we will stand before Jesus and we will give an account on our faithfulness, on our obedience, and on the reason, the motives, we did what he called us to do. Now, I don't know how you feel about being a servant. Are you guys excited about that? It was kind of cool. Uh, last night after the marriage fellowship, you have all these different people. We're talking doctors and nurses and politicians and business owners. People that you might think, well, they're a little bit higher than the rest. Vacuuming, cleaning up the tables. I mean, just all the, the stuff. Why? Because it, it, that we realize now as Christians that we're all called to be servants. What's the, what's the test of a servant? What's the true test of a servant? How do you act when they treat you like one? You're like, ooh, I don't like that. <laughs> I mean, it's okay for him to say, you know, assume I'm going to vacuum or empty the trash or clean the toilet, but if he tells me to do it, that's a different story. See, we have to embrace this whole heart of being a servant. You want to know why? Because Jesus was. Huh? Wasn't Jesus a servant? There he is, cleaning out the toe jam. Think about how gross that was. 
<laughs> washing feet. And there he was, the God of the universe, dying on a cross for us. And so that's how we become servants. I actually read an interesting story about a school that you can go to to learn how to be a servant. The tuition is $7,200. And you go to this school because apparently in America, households that make 10 million or more, they're just, they're just exploding, man. So they, there's, a, there's a need for servants, they say. And so if you go to this school and you graduate, you can earn up to $120,000 a year. Anyone interested? <laughs> but what, I, what is so cool, and we learn this over and over again being Christians, you don't have to pay a whole bunch of money to go to rehab, and you don't have to pay a whole bunch of money to learn how to be a servant, huh? All you got to do is fall in love with Jesus. I want to point you to him today. I, I, I know you're struggling in your marriages. I know you're struggling in your social anxieties. I know you're struggling in your depressions and your issues and your drama with your kids, with your bodies, with your finances. There's a ton of things going on. I know you are. And, and, and you want to know what the answer is? It's not Peter. It's not Paul. It's not Cephas. It's Jesus. And so today as we have communion, my prayer is that we would look to him. And we look to him, first of all, for salvation. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you have to take that first step and give your life to him. He died for you on a cross. He rose again. Have you made that first step to really, truly, honestly crown him as the king, as the Lord of your life? Or do you just play in church? I mean, it's been said either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Is Jesus really the Lord of your life? The Bible says that if you confess him as Lord and Savior, you'll be saved. That's where it starts. And then from there as Christians, we come to him and we ask him to do this work in our hearts. And God wants to use you guys in such amazing ways. All you have to do is have that heart that Isaiah said. He said, here am I, Lord. Send me.